Warning, Star Trek from the holodeck contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Walk it alone! Fire! Holodeck 3 program is reinstated. Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transport of him. Now. Welcome, everyone, to Star Trek from the Holodeck. We are here for the very first discussion on the brand new Star Trek series, Strange New Worlds. I'm your host, Michael. And if you're a new listener, I have an ensign that's always at the helm, a forever ensign, much like Ensign Kim. Hello, David. And away we go. He has horrible theories <laughs> that not, sometimes prove to be accurate. Not, not that yet for this. Me. Not yet for this. Not yet for this. And hopefully never. <laughs> Listen to the rest of our shows to understand why. Okay, so we are here, Dave, and we made it. Star Trek Strange New Worlds is a series, when you think about it, that's 50 years plus in the making. Think about that. This is a series based on a pilot that was canned by the network over 50 years ago. 50 years later, the pilot has been given new life, <laughs> new life. as a type of prequel slash sequel hybrid series that will benefit from the 50 some years of Trek canon. Dude, think about this. No, if you were to ask like 10 years ago, Star Trek fans, would we get a series on Pike? Everyone under the sun would be screaming, why? Yeah, like, why? That doesn't why? make sense. Why? That doesn't make sense. But now, it's the most anticipated, it has been the most anticipated series for all Star Trek fans. It's insane. The amount of enthusiasm around this series is fucking insane and very exciting. I am glad that the Kurtzman era has finally been given a bit of a pass from some of the the unrelenting Star Trek fans, I, I don't want to say trolls. I don't wanna, trolls. trolls, trolls, but also there are some legitimate non-trolls who just refuse to like anything Kurtzman because of discovery or whatever they may call it. But at least this series seems to be that the winning moment. Yeah, it seemed to have won over many of the naysayers because as of right now on Rotten Tomatoes. It's sitting at a 100%. (laughs) And on the audience side, it's sitting at an 88%, which I believe, could be wrong, is the highest rated Star Trek series in the last 30 years. Yes, it is. Well, I take that back. 20 20 20, years. 20 years. years. I don't want to say 30 years. That's pushing it. But definitely within the last 20 years. Oh, yeah. Because, like, that's the thing that cracks me up is, like, I want to point at people who hate on Discovery and say, you know what? If it wasn't for Discovery, what, what, what? we wouldn't actually have gotten this series. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> because if if we didn't have second season of Discovery and the ability for Anson Mount to win over the entire audience of Star Trek <laughs> by himself. Yeah. 
we would not have had had this had this series. It's exciting. And I said this during our Picard discussion, but with the way Picard ended and Discovery season four ended and the introduction of Star Trek Prodigy and Star Trek Lower Decks and now Star Trek Strange New Worlds, I, as a Star Trek fan, and I don't want to speak for you, that's why I'm saying I, I'm very happy with where Star Trek is currently. Currently, yes. I I'm, get, I'm with you. I'm then. not saying it's perfect. There's, yeah. still, there's still room for improvement, but they are, they're moving in that direction of improvement. They are making those steps to make a stronger franchise, and Strange New Worlds is an example of that. They are making those, or I should say taking those steps. And as a Star Trek fan, I cannot be more excited for this series for a lot of different reasons. For one, the obvious reason, it's Star Trek. It's Star Trek. Secondly, yeah. it's a series that will utilize a familiar writing format to something more along the same lines as DS9, Voyager, Enterprise, the later seasons of TNG as well. Yeah. Uh, it's a hybrid episodic format with a serialized overarching story or myth arc. Basically, and to keep it simple, close ended episodes with emotional continuance for our characters. Yes. Things that happen to our characters in one episode, as well as events, will and can be used, but the focus is on the episodic. Yes. We have not had a series like that since Enterprise. I would even say more so Voyager. I would say Voyager because Enterprise kind of veered, started veering away from it. They became, I would say, strictly serial in the last season. Yes. Maybe even the last two seasons. Also, the tone of the series felt lighthearted when it needed to be, bringing some of that classic original series levity back to Trek. Well, dude, that, that opening arguably is perfect is the perfect opening for star Trek series. You know, me and you have gone back and forth about how the opening of a star Trek series is also important. You know, we, we grade discovery on their opening Picard on their opening mm -hmm. lower decks and prodigy on their opening. This opening <laughs> that was as soon as you hear Pike say the infamous monologue, the very beginning mm -hmm. that just sets the table perfectly. Yeah. You know, see, you're a practical kind of guy. I'm more of a, a Rios, if you will throw away my entire life as I know it for some ass. <laughs> for some ass. Um, <laughs> I loved, and this is something I've been fucking harping on for a long time. For the most part, as our listeners know, I'm okay with the Kurtzman era of Star Trek. But the one thing that has that I've continued to say is what happened to the sexiness of Star Trek? Yes. There is no sexiness. <laughs> Very first 15 minutes of this series, we have Pike in bed with a lady. We have Spock shirtless. We have Rebecca Romaine looking sassy. No, no, no. Looking just hot. Hot. Even though she's been held prisoner. The new sing chick. I think it's Laanne. I think it's Laanne. It's spelled L A. Apostrophe A-N, La-Anne, La-Anne Singh, she is spicy as hell. They brought back the sexiness of Star Trek. And I'm not trying to be a, an overly masculine douche, but the sexiness has always been a part of Star Trek. So for them to bring that back in a series like this, it just feels perfect for oh, this era yeah. in Star Trek. 
Yeah. I mean, even I was cracking up with the fact that uh, there was a news article that Rebecca Romaine insisted that she had to wear a skirt because in her opinion, that was like what they had in the original series. Yeah. So they have to actually dress like that. Yeah. And I applaud her. I absolutely love number one. I want to see where they go with the character because having Rebecca Romaine portray that character makes me feel really giddy because we're going to get that, you know, like that sexy vibe, like what you're mentioning. We're going to get that kind of like aesthetic back. Now, Dave, thoughts on the return to the episodic. I'm definitely okay with this. I'm a little cautious only because I prefer serialized stories. I know that's a bit of a talking point right now amongst Star Trek fans. There are many people that are pointing to the serialized format as the biggest problem with shows like Discovery and possibly even the first season of season of Picard. I've heard people saying that if you're stuck with a horrible story, you're stuck with it from beginning to end. Whereas if you're dealing with an op- episodic format, if the story doesn't quite work right, you can always move on to the next episode. To me, that's someone, someone who says that they don't grasp the finer details of writing. You need to learn how to write TV, period. So I don't feel like the format choices has been the problem with any of our past iterations of Star Trek. It just comes down to fully uh, understanding the world of Star Trek and having a definitive idea nailed down that you can bring into your show and then finish it with the proper closure. The episodic version isn't easy to say episodic to say that the episodic format is easy, I feel like would be a disservice to all the writers that had come before, you know, the previous decades who have written episodic television. There is definitely a skill set that is There's needed to yeah. write episodic television. One isn't easier or harder than the next. They're different. Plus, the, when you take a look at the episodic way of writing, essentially you have to come up as a writer with a closed end story within Let's give them. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt. A sixty-minute script. Whereas you're just talking about with with not including commercials, not including commercials. So about forty-five, forty-seven. Okay, so even take that for forty-five, forty-seven, right? Whereas in a in the in the other format, you have to you're given leeway to make your story last more than forty-seven minutes. You can make it last multiple episodes. So that's like. 200 minutes you have a feature length time to do your story right see what you're touching on there dave you're touching on the the idea of craft meaning that yes episodic television has one edge over serial with episodic television you have to hold yourself to finishing your story You have to hold yourself accountable. You have to hold yourself accountable because you only have one episode to tell this story. There is no room to meander and drift into other things that may not matter. With modern serialized storytelling, there are a lot of writers who shouldn't be doing it in television because Mm -hmm. there are those mid, I call them mid-section lulls, where they have a very strong two, three, four episodes. Then there's a middle section. This is very common with a lot of serialized TV that's kind of just there. Then you have the last three or four episodes that really drives home the series. 
And so sometimes a writer who's not as good as someone who can handle serialized television correctly will tend to veer off. And then it feels a little weak. There are those, those writing issues that we talk about. So that is the benefit with episodic television is mm. you have to hold yourself accountable to getting your story out there and complete within a 45 to 50 minute time frame. Yes. So you have no issues then with this new format? Are you happy? Are you looking forward to seeing what they can do? Or are you going to miss that, that serialized format? Personally, I am really happy they're doing the episodic route with Star Trek because the more I've actually thought about it, Mike, episodic writing for television opens up the more of the possibility that they will do more philosophical stories tailored to Star Trek. You don't have to have like this overall branching philosophy story. You can have multiple. I mean, even this the particular opening proved that where they have this, this overall moral concept, this moral idea of a story being told, right? About two warring f countries de destroying each other and how peace has to remain in order for them to move forward and better their civilization. Normally, in a serialized television, they would take that type of storyline and stretch it out, stretch it out like two hour into two uh, two hour epic. Well, for example, with Pike's issues with his fate. Yes. Normally, we we had. I'm sure this will be a part throughout the season, and we'll get to this in a second. But the fact that Pike knows his fate, if we were doing a serialized story, the resolve that he had at the end of this episode probably wouldn't have been there until the season finale. Until the season finale. Exactly. Yeah. So there are, there are pros and cons, right? There is pros and cons for, for doing episodic television. I think that after this episode, I think this is going to be a benefit for Star Trek. We'll see. I don't have a problem against it so far. So good. The first episode worked just fine. So at, I feel like we have to wait till the end of the season to fully say that the return to the episodic was a success, but it started off strong. Let's kick things off officially with your overall feelings and direction of the premiere, Dave. My overall feelings and about the premiere is I loved this opening. Essentially, this is I think they've been saying like this is the the pilot episode for the for the whole series, mm -hmm. and that's why I've been seeing them referring this this uh, episode as but if this is a pilot this is a very strong pilot i mean they get they yeah. got every single little thing they needed to get across their type of star trek show yeah i don't think technically this was a pilot so that's, that's actually a good point to bring up the the real pilot was season two was season of two discovery. of discovery yeah but it but that's why i've been seeing online as people referring to this as the pilot episode and like so if you were going to take that into, into context, I think it did a fantastic job. Now, if this is episode one, again, it did a fantastic job setting things up, setting up their story. It moved very briskly. It moved it, very briskly, but yeah. it needed to. Yeah. It no, needed it, to. I agree. Because I honestly think that this type of story made me, made me remember what old Star Trek TV used to be like. You know, especially from the uh, of the original series time, you get like these episodes that are self self encompassed, 
and there's a, a moral or a message that the writer wants to uh, wants to say about it in the very end. And then we have the epilogue of back then Kirk and Spock doing their little cleanup. Here we had the same thing. We had the little cleanup in the very end with between uh, Pike, Spock, and uh, Liana, which was I thought was really done. And the, they set up all of their main characters wonderfully. Like I was expecting them to kind of like space them out throughout the season. Like, Oh, here's nurse chapel. Here's Dr. I think, I hope I say it right. Nwanga. Uh, and Uhura was going to get introduced. I thought they would space them all out throughout the season. No, we're going to introduce them all in one episode. And think about that, Mike, they introduced, more than five characters, more than five main characters all in one episode under 50 minutes. And they did it well. They didn't have to take multiple episodes to do this. Yeah. I haven't seen a lot of people talking about this part yet, Dave, but I believe we finally got our first ever official Star Trek universe title sequence at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> yes. I was wondering if we were going to get something like this eventually because every big franchise they do similar things with their connected universes for example everyone's familiar with the marvel cinematic universe opening title sequence the dc cinematic universe does the same thing yes star wars on disney plus does the exact same thing they have their own little banner that represents the star wars universe and now it looks like strange new worlds launched the new Star Trek universe title sequence, title was, sequence. I, which I was happy. I got a little giddy. I was like, finally, we got a Star Trek universe. So chances are every series moving forward will probably open up with that Star Trek universe title sequence. Well, that makes me really think that they're really making strange new worlds, their flagship. Yeah. Like the fact that they launched that, they with launched this that series, with the series and also their title sequence in the very beginning, you know, where Pike is saying, you know, space, the final frontier. We don't, we never had that. We never had that type of opening sequence. That's synonymous with star Trek till strange new worlds. I mean, if you look at Picard, are you talking about, Picard. The, you're talking about the new season, Yeah, the new, I mean, the Kurtzman era, the Kurtzman yeah. era. You'd expect that in Picard, but we never got something like that. Discovery, me and you have talked on well, that. Well, what's he going to say, sense. Dave? These are the voyages of an old man. <laughs> exactly. Wrapped in a robotic body. Exactly. And that's... Uh, to dude. boldly go where Data has gone before. Like, come on. What's he gonna <laughs> Dude, did you not get excited just hearing the Enterprise? Yes, and David, Enterprise I was. I was, was right giddy. There. I was giddy. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you. Everything you just said. I thought this premiere was a great start with literally endless potential. One element that really helped to get the series started was its obvious connection to Discovery taking those big elements from the second season of Discovery that really defined Pike and Spock. Pike knowing his fate, the idea that he saved the universe, the universe, but in doing so, he was made aware of a future that was unavoidable. Yeah. Spock's connection to his sister and the struggles of loss and the idea that she left with him, that he will someday find the family friends Family slash friends that he longs for, which we all know is Kirk and his, you know, future Enterprise crew. 
So the Pike stuff worked in a way that it bridged the unreconciled issue of his fate from Discovery and brought a form of acceptance by the end of the episode. Through Pike's conversation with Lan, Noonien Singh is what helped him to reconcile his issues. Not yeah. believing you will die is what gets you killed, I believe is what they said. Accepting that death is inevitable is what kept Singh alive. And that's how Pike was able to reconcile his own existential crisis that he was going through. Mm -hmm. Well, the, dude, the thing I really liked about that moment too was when Pike mentions that as humans were, were made to, we're tailored to think that it's our job to escape death as something on those lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, automatically I thought about it when he says that, what is the one thing that's synonymous with Kirk? He always, the, the one line in one of the movies I remember cheat death. was to cheat death. <laughs> and essentially I thought that was genius because right there, it separates Pike from Kirk. Yeah. It separates them as captains. Now we know that Pike doesn't think like Kirk and that's what makes, makes this even more impactful in an entire scene. And think about it. It only was a scene that lasted about like five minutes. All you need. And that's all we needed. Mm -hmm. And we get a full rounded feeling of who Pike is. See, that's kind of like how I have sex. You know, it's only going to last 30 seconds, but it's, it's <laughs> you're going to understand what I am. Yes. And you're, and it's going to work for you. At least that's <laughs> what, at least that's what people tell me. It might be just being nice. <laughs> it's just being nice. It's not about it's not about the time spent. It's or the amount of time. It's about what you do with that time, right, Dave? Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know. I'm, I'm going to speak for you on this one as well. At least that's what we hear all the time throughout our lives. I mean, that's when that's what usually happens when you know they wake up. Yeah. I, I don't oh. know. <laughs> usually, I'm left looking. You know, like Pike was looking. Or not Pike, uh, Pike's girlfriend. Pike's girlfriend. Where did you go? Feeling Where did you go? <laughs> Dude, I was laughing so hard. This side of the bed's cold, which means you left a long time ago. That's, and that that's, that's a lot about Pike. It's like, what did Pike, what was Pike doing? <laughs> was trying to deal with things. Leave him alone. <laughs> so most of us are also familiar with T'Pring. Uh, yes. She was part of Spock's history in the original series. I believe they were engaged to be married at one point. And this will be an interesting aspect to see where they take this story thread because we all know how that turns how out. How it turns out, yeah. So I'm assuming this aspect will be used to further flesh out Spock's complicated existence as essentially a son of two worlds. You know, struggling between the Vulcan side and the human side and his priorities with Starfleet, which was already brought to the forefront uh, in, a, uh, in a way that wasn't meant to be constructive when T. Pring said you're out gallivanting with the Enterprise. With the Enterprise. Obviously, she's already harboring a little bit of resentment with Spock's choices. So, keeping with Spock, let's talk about Nurse Chapel. Why is this important? Why are they connected? This was a character in the original series that was never fully utilized. There were allusions to a potential relationship between her and Spock in the original series. Yes. So the question here is, will we see the beginning of that here or will they ignore it? 
I have a feeling I'm not one for tons of relationships and shows. I'm not, even though I joke about shipping a lot and getting these characters to have sex and this is a good looking character. I'm not about random relationships. I don't need that in a show. If it's vital for a character's uh, story, their character growth, then by all means, put it in there. If it fits in their story, if it's not needed, then don't force it. So I'm not a stickler for this. However, it would be consistent with canon and it would clarify those illusions in the original series. It would. It would. And it would actually kind of seamlessly, for Star Trek fans, I think it would make them feel more comfortable because the one thing I've learned, Mike, the last couple of maybe two years now covering Star Trek, you got to make the Star Trek babies happy in some regard. You don't destroy their toys. <laughs> and we're throwing ourselves in that in that particular example of yours. I'm yeah. a Star Trek baby when it comes to things like that. I don't feel like it would be important, but yes, I don't think it's vital. But why would you ignore it? If there were illusions that they never quite dug into or delved into, but it was definitely there, then why not explore that area now? Especially since Nurse Chapel's kind of hot. Oh my god, dude! I was so giddy when I, when I got to see Nurse Chapel because I was like, "Why isn't she in her blue dress?" My god, mom please. is a big Star Trek fan, and the first thing she said, she's all, "Why are all these women so attractive?" <laughs> I'm like, "Mom, what are you new? What are you new?" Star Trek ladies have always been attractive. Oh yeah. It wasn't until the Kurtzman era that he was here. Go wear, wear the most ugliest, most unbecoming clothing. Why? Just because. Just because. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so there's one other character dave that we don't know anything about but the name absolutely comes with a lot of history and that's <laughs> Lan nunian singh yes this is a character that comes with some obvious history and she is obviously a descendant of khan yes we know this because of her last name how would they use this element i'm not sure i am intrigued and i am an I am very anxious to explore. And it's interesting that basically the way she acts and the way she talks, talk to Pike about her, her history. Mm -hmm. She's very guarded about it. Yeah. So, and it makes sense. It makes sense. If she is part of Khan's lineage, his lineage is not the most stellar. Well, okay, David, that brings on another question then. Does she know? Oh, she has to. How? That's what I was like thinking. How, like though? going, she has to know. When you think about what was just explored in Star Trek Picard season two, mm. what did they say about the 21st century? Not a lot is known because of the impending destruction due to World War Three, nearly wiping out. What was it like? 60%, 30% of, of human life on earth. Well, in the second season of Picard, they said that there's a lot of things that are unknown during this time period because of the chaos of, of the century. So would we fully know about Khan floating in space? Well, you got to remember when they brought in, when they, the initial TOS uh, episode where Khan makes his first appearance. They did have a history of him. They did know who it, he was. They knew of him because of his exploits. Exploits. Uh, right. Nearly toppling 
governments. The, the governments or toppling governments during his reign, during the, uh, the eugenics war. But in Enterprise, it was more of a myth. If you remember the, the Eric Soon Sung storyline that included augments, they didn't mention Khan at all no. until the final episode. I want to say it was a four-part. It was a four-episode story arc. And I want to say in the final episode, they alluded to the myth, the myth of Khan. But I don't quite remember exactly how the storyline played out. But memory, if memory serves me correct, they alluded to the idea that it was more of a myth about Khan. It wasn't a definitive fact. Yes. I'm going to look that up and rewatch the episode just to just so I can find my bearings and come back during our next discussion, because I have a feeling that this knowledge is going to be needed. Oh, for especially, this show. For, especially for when we delve into Singh's history and basically find out, okay, how much does she know? Because like, I honestly think that you're, you're definitely onto something because I do remember them referring to Khan almost kind of like how history looks at say someone like a figure like um, Dracula. We know Vlad the Impaler really existed, but there's so much of his exploits that are taught, uh, uh, talked about in mythical ways. That's how he's seen in history. Yeah. And I think I remember when the, the uh, later on in the Enterprise stuff, he was treated like that. Like he was like treated like a boogeyman. <laughs> yes, that was that was more or less how they they handled it in Enterprise. But I will rewatch that four episode arc. I believe it was a four episode arc because it's vital to the final season of Picard or this. I'm not, I'm sorry, not the final season, the, the, the this last season of Picard yes. season two, as well as now, of course, with this character here, I'm looking forward to exploring her past and yeah. finding out more because she has the potential to really unlock some some mysteries I, within star trek i have to be honest and say what initially when they announced this character i kind of rolled my eyes about and it. we both did about oh here comes a con like character but what they've done in this episode they've won me over i really want to know more about this character i find her really strangely appealing like she's kind of like that realist in the room like you have Spock as the logical person, but she's almost kind of like this, the voice that basically challenges the logic. Yeah. <laughs> she's the only person in the room that challenges the logic and can win. You know who she reminds me a little bit of? Tasha Yar. I thought you were going to say seven. No, she reminds me of Tasha Yar. Tasha Yar has that very dominating personality has very strong opinions willing to she's willing to say what's on her mind so we'll see where it goes i am i'm i actually like this character more than i thought i would yeah same here uh admiral robert april is another character they have pulled from mothballs i suppose you could say he's a legacy character his history as of now is open and uh i would say he's open to interpretation because originally he was introduced as the captain of the enterprise before pike in the animated series which is technically not canon 
technically. technically. I know there are Star Trek fans out there that proclaim that it is, but technically it's not. In Discovery, it was stated that Pike was his first officer, so there's some room to flesh this character out, and I am curious to see what they do with him. If people are not aware, Admiral Robert April was the captain of the Enterprise prior to Pike. Yes. So he does come with some history from the books and the animated series. Again, a lot. None of it series. is. Yeah, none of it is technically canon. So we'll see what they do. They do have some some wiggle room here to do as they please with this character. All the other characters that were introduced, Uhura, Chief Kyle, Lieutenant Ortega's, Mbanga, I found all of them interesting for the purposes of episode one. They were more or less just designed to be simple introductions. We will no doubt get a lot more on all of them as the season progresses, especially since this is more of an episodic format. There will be episodes, I'm sure, that are exclusively focused on these individual characters. Now, that is a benefit to the episodic with a serial you have your, your guiding characters that, for the most part, are always in the foreground. Yes. With episodic, you can veer away from that and focus on individual characters a little bit more. When it comes to the story itself, episode one being a sequel slash prequel used the events of Discovery Discovery season two finale as a relevant plot point for the episode. Yeah. The events that led to an unorthodox first contact was brought on by the time wormhole created that took discovery and her crew into the future. I've always liked this aspect of star Trek due to its moral implications. Being an advanced civilization doesn't make us better than others. It yes. makes us responsible for others. It makes us it makes us think about the consequences and we have to take the we have to take accountability of those consequences. And yes, and I like these messages because you can you can compare this or contrast this to how many people in today's society view our superiority to animals mm -hmm. and how because they view us as superior, we don't have any type of responsibility for the neighbors that we share our planet with, which is all the other life. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, if we are superior, let's say, then we have an even greater responsibility. Yes. To take care of the ones that we may think are lesser. And that's really the message of Star Trek. It's not about always we are the best and greatest civilization because we've progressed this far and we have done huge things to improve life. And look at us. We are great. We're humans. We have launched into space and we have proven that we are the best. We take what we've learned and we use it to form a type of responsibility, an ethical parameter, if you will, yes. to make sure we govern ourselves and keep ourselves in check so that we can protect others. And Pike's disregard for General Order One highlights this. Oh, yeah, dude. Did you not? That was the one moment I was curious. Did you not get like a Star Trek boner when they have this, this discussion in the elevator about, about basically General Order One? And basically, like when number one throws that at Pike and says, No, we can't interfere with the species. And then Pike's like going, but we have to take responsibility yes. because what we did 
what was the consequences of this? Yeah, tactically, inadvertently, they already did bypass General Order 1. They bypassed General Order 1. So by doing that, even though it was inadvertent, Pike still, Pike still stood on that ground that basically, no, we have to take responsibility for the actions. You have to be accountable. And, dude, I, would, I got so giddy with that because this is what I miss about Star Trek. Accountability? Uh, accountability accountability and also kind of like the characters (laughs) themselves just legitimately discussing amongst themselves hey there are two sides of the argument Mm -hmm. it's not just one side one one-sided argument there's always two sides of this and like i automatically thought to myself if this was any of the other shows if this was picard if this was discovery especially discovery if they were thrown into this Number one, they would not take Pike's stance because they would be basically go, no, we can we have to fix this our own way. And then they would f- try to find a way of fix fixing the whole process without actually doing what Pike did and take accountability and bring the species along with him. What you're trying to say for the people who don't follow all of our discussions is there's accountability. This accountability. is something we've talked about. We are fans of Discovery. We enjoy Discovery. Absolutely. But one of our problems we have with Discovery is there isn't a lot of accountability for the character's actions. Mm-hmm. And we wish there was more accountability and more consequences for poor choices. We don't have a problem with poor choices. Poor choices is what makes characters interesting. Exactly. But it's the writer's duty to take those poor choices that they have the characters do. And at the end of the day, they need to make sense of it so that they can then learn from their mistakes and recognize their errors. And that's why a moment like this in strange new worlds really works for me because they do recognize the mistake they made and then the responsibility they now have to correct that mistake. And the best part about all of this, Dave, is that it paved a way for the writers to craft some relevant social commentary on current events And this is how you do it. The current so-called second civil war, as they mentioned, as some are also calling in in our real world, the current culture war that is tearing apart the U.S. currently, it wasn't designed to point fingers at any one group. The writers weren't trying to take sides, but it was designed to stress the dangers of relentless infighting and the potential disasters that rise from such discord. And I love this because the message came at the ending of the episode, mm-hmm. which was so fucking on par with the original series and TNG, those final moments, as you mentioned, of the philosophical reflection. It was classic Star Trek allegory oh, that yeah. sowed seeds of optimism and hope. And the thing that, that was cool uh, uh, about the whole episode with that notion was they started with that theme from the get-go. I mean, bringing in that clip from, uh, I think it's the day the earth stood still with, uh, that it's a 1950s sci-fi film, Pike watching that. And then basically having that moment when basically the main character of that movie is telling the earth, Mm -hmm. Hey, you have to, you have to abide what you're doing and be careful about nuclear weapons. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden that whole thing just comes to full circle in the very end when Pike essentially is playing that character and telling them, listen, this is what happened on my world. Yeah. 
you have to be careful about this infighting because all can do is destroy you. Yeah. It was strong. I liked it. It was simple but effective. That's how some of classic Star Trek was worked out. It was simple sometimes comes with negative connotations. It but does. it but it doesn't always mean negative. Sometimes simple is what's is what works best. And mm-hmm. with a format like this, the simple excels. Oh, absolutely. And that's why at the end of this episode we're left walking away with a smile. We're excited to see what happens next because it does fit into that classic Star Trek box that are that so many of us are comfortable with. A few other things, the prime directive. I loved when they said oh, that man, yeah. they're considering calling it the, the general order one. They're considering it, you know, basically at this point, it's not, it is important but they want to stress the importance because of what Pike did in this episode. Yes. <laughs> and in order to stress the importance of general order one, they're thinking of calling it the, the prime directive, directive, which we all know that is the name of it. But when Pike says, Oh, that'll never stick. I started <laughs> laughing <laughs> because we know that it is, we all know what the prime directive is at yes, this point. We do. And the, but the best part by far is like, it is the one thing that is always challenged in Star Trek yeah. from time to time. Yeah. The next little bit here, Samuel Kirk. <laughs> Do you, were you getting, I was laughing because I was like, that was the one thing in the episode that I'm like going, they're not going to give us Kirk. Well, I, obviously <laughs> they were fucking with us the entire time. I yes. knew that it wasn't going to be James Kirk. It just wouldn't make sense. But the fact that they kept referring to him as Lieutenant Kirk. Yeah. Oh, Lieutenant Kirk. Yeah. <laughs> I know I knew what they were trying to do. I figured, okay, they're talking about James T. Kirk, but there's going to be some reason why he never makes it to the ship. Just like they did at the beginning of the episode. There's going to be some reason why he never makes it because we know based on Canon, Pike never meets Meets Kirk Kirk. until the episode in the original series first season where Spock takes Pike back to the planet. I forgot the name of the planet now. Talos, Talos Talos four. When Spock takes the now deformed Pike to Talos in order for him to live his life happily, remembering what he looked like and not deformed from his accident. So that being said, I had an idea. They were just playing with us. And sure enough, we get the introduction of George Samuel Kirk, which was and is James T. Kirk's older brother. Older brother. <laughs> and I believe the first and only appearance we had of him was in the original series, and he was dead. Yes, he was a dead body. He was just dead. Yes. Which is kind of funny now when you think about it, that the well, introduction he, of his brother was just a corpse. He was he was he was actually used and introduced in one of my favorite episodes, which was uh it was something with the parasites. Yeah. And I liked it because the way that they handled it was they started the whole thing of Kirk going to see his brother. Then he finds out his brother's dead and it's never brought up again. (laughs) So it's the original series episode titled Operation Annihilate. Yes. And And it was the 29th episode of the first season. So people want to check that out so you can get a glimpse of Samuel Kirk as a dead man. 
Also, Samuel Kirk was, I believe. No, that's it. I, a part of me thought this Kirk was going to be his father. No, no, he's too young. That'd be too young to be to be Captain Kirk or to be uh, Wait, James what? T. Kirk. Wait, what? Samuel Kirk is too young to actually be James's father. No, no, no. This character, yes. Before we saw him. Oh, when they were talking about him. Kirk. Yeah. When they were just saying, oh, Kirk, you know, Lieutenant, Lieutenant Kirk, Lieutenant Kirk. I was thinking, okay, this is going to be the father because I had forgotten about the brother. I knew he had a brother, but it just didn't register because we've only, only we've only seen his corpse. His corpse. And that's why I was, I was like laughing. I, I seriously, when he showed up, like I belly left so oh, hard yeah, so did I. because I'm like, ah, you're a corpse. In the very this is a very sad you. show. When you think about it, this is a dead man walking ship. Exactly. I mean. Do you realize that? <laughs> I, I was like, going, oh my God, all these characters are going to die horrifically, except for, well, we keep except saying for Pike, Spock. Pike technically doesn't die, but I mean, even Pike says he doesn't die, but he essentially he does. The he life does. as he knows it ends. And if you think about it, look at, well, I was about to say Spock doesn't die, but no, he, Spock dies. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> and, and I'm like, going, oh, wait, does that mean that? Uh, Una's gonna die sometime in, in Strange New Worlds because that would suck. Yeah, we don't have any idea. We we literally know nothing about Una. They can't do anything to Rebecca Romaine, dude. They, they she has to stay with us. Okay, is there? <laughs> speaking of Una, is there? A, are they like alluding to some type of relationship between her and Leanne? I think it's more or less that Leanne, just like Leanne said, Una found her and basically saved her. So it's kind of a, the vibe I got was more or less like a mentor. Well, but what do you do to show gratitude when someone saves you? You have sex with them. <laughs> not, that's not what you do? My God, Mike, no, no. At least I hope I not. thought that's what happens with Superman all the time. After he rescues like a, a young lady, he's like, oh, let me repay you. That, that doesn't work that way. No, no, that, no. that, that does not work that way. No. Well, okay. We'll see. That's my theory. That's your theory. That's my big theory for the season. I'll be cracking up. I'll be cracking up if that theory gets proven. <laughs> and then you just go, see, David, I told you, if you save someone, they have sex with you. <laughs> That's filthy. Okay, Dave, give me your final thoughts as well as your RMD score. My final thoughts for this episode. I am elated and happy how this episode turned out. I had some really, I hate to say it, Mike, I had, so, I had some really high hopes for this. I know you episode. did. Yeah. I was so excited for this. Did it fulfill all your expectations? It did. It really? did fulfill okay, my expectations. Good. So I walked away with a big smile on my face and. Shut up, David. <laughs> Throw something at you right now. If you do what I think you're going to do. And do not blow I'm your going to say this is a 99 <laughs> 99. 99. See, you can't throw anything at me. Is that <laughs> 99? Is that the RMD critic speaking, or is that the Star Trek fan? That's the Star Trek fan. Star Trek we don't, fan is we don't rate shows like that. Dave. If okay, if it, if it was the RMD, I would give it a 92. Okay. In all seriousness, 92. That, that's more reasonable. Are you sure? I don't want to change your mind. Is that really your critic score? That is my critic score. Okay. 92 is a, I actually have it written here. I'm like, I have it written on my notes that basically score 
a hundred with a question mark or 92. <laughs> Listen, I was about to do the same thing because I felt like this episode just hit on all the classic Star Trek it wants did. and desires. So when I realized that it was just feeding into everything I wanted from Star Trek, I realized that was my Star Trek fan. Mm-hmm. So I had to reevaluate. And I ultimately, as a critic, being objective is a 91% for me. So that comes out to be a 92. We always 92. round, we always round up for our, our show grade. And so that's a 92% as a show. And I'll be honest, Mike, I mean, me and you have covered a lot of the Star Trek uh, series up to this point. Mm-hmm. I think this is the strongest premiere. I honestly think that this oh, is the yeah. strongest premiere. No, it is. Out of Discovery. Picard. Picard, I guess we can, I don't know. I don't lower like to, decks. I don't like to throw lower decks and prodigy in just because they're kind of in their own field. They're both, they're both very good, Yeah, but it's hard to, I, it feels weird comparing them to live action, but yeah, I, I would agree. I would definitely agree with that. Dave, this is definitely the strongest premiere of the Kurtzman era without a doubt, without a doubt. And Kurtzman should be very happy that he finally has a, unanimous win. I think it's fair to say, obviously there's going to be some outlining, some outliners out there who there are is. unhappy, but you're sitting at a hundred percent on fucking rotten tomatoes from the critic side and an 88% from the fan side. And I got to think that the reason why that's not in the nineties is because there's got to be some, there's trolls. There's got to be some review bombers in there just still hating on Kurtzman. There has to be, because I'm curious now, like, okay, with everything we've seen in this episode, what could possibly anger a Star Trek fan? What? Yeah. That's what I would tell. That's why I would tell like Star Trek fans who are, who would criticize this series is like, okay, what is wrong with it? <laughs> yeah. Tell me what you're looking well, for. You know what? Let me pull up Ryan Tomatoes and see what the negative, what the naysayers are saying. Hold on. Let me bring it up here. I, I told I'm my, I told myself that I wasn't going to even care or look at what the bulk of the Star Trek fans are but saying, because I just, I'm honestly, really I don't even in. care. Like our, our show is unique from other shows because we're void of the, of the ridiculous over the top controversial discussions and hating on Kurtzman. That's what so many of these Star Trek podcasts do nowadays. They just fucking shit, shit, shit on Star Trek. I'm like, are you even a Star Trek fan at this point? If you don't like anything in this Kurtzman era, then you're not really a Star Trek fan. You like one show, maybe two. Maybe two. That's not, that's not being a Star Trek fan. That's liking two shows that happen to have the Star Trek name on it. Let's see. I'm not trying to gatekeep here, but the, but the facts are the facts. If you hate five out of how many Star Trek shows do we have now? The original series, TNG, D space nine, Voyager, enterprise, discovery, Picard. It's let's say seven out of seven shows. You hate five and you only like two. Are you really a Star Trek fan? Okay. Here, here's, here's, here's something that I read, Mike, that makes a little, doesn't make any sense. If you know nothing of Star Trek 
OST, then you'll probably really like this version. If you grew up with the original show, you will feel some nostalgia, but it will be short-lived every time they have Spock on screen. I hate what they have done to Spock. It's criminal. Noonan Singh isn't a delight either, and they totally made Uhura ugly with wow. that hairdo. Uh, wow, numerous canon violations make it just hold, okay. Hold, let me stop you for a second. Number one, go back to the nostalgia. Can you reread that for me? The nostalgia uh, part. If you grew up with the original show, you will feel some nostalgia, but it will be short lived. If you're watching a show for nostalgia, that's problem number one. Nostalgia does not make a show. Nostalgia is what writers do when they don't know how to write and they're trying to win people over. That's cheating. If nostalgia comes naturally because you know how to write Star Trek and it feels on track with what you know of Star Trek, then nostalgia can play a role in that. But if you are watching something solely for nostalgia and that's and you're using that in your review as a positive, they lose all legitimacy right there for me. You, you don't review a show based on nostalgia. I have studied and gone to school for film theory. I never once, David, I never once studied in film theory nostalgia. Have you? <laughs> no, never. That's not part of film theory? That is not N part of film theory. Nostalgia is not part of film theory, right? <laughs> and then the second part, how do you review a show based on Uhura's appearance? Yeah, that's pretty bad. That's fucked up. First off, she's not ugly. If you look at her stuff, her pictures from the red carpet, she's actually very pretty. She's very gorgeous. But... That's kind of bad on, on uh, that. That's more or less on them. That that's kind of them made, I'm not going to lie. That, that made me a little mad. The, the, the <laughs> comment on Uhura. I'm like, come on, let's not, you're going to, you can't review a show based on superficial. Oh, she's ugly. Fucked up. Who does that? But majority of the, all the majority of all the reviews that people are writing are like five, four stars. Then once in a while you get like, Someone giving it a one star and just a simple thing saying worst casting I've ever saw on a Star Trek I just series. read that. Yeah. Worst casting ever. <laughs> Why? Why? <laughs> you want them to Frankenstein, you know, back to life, Leonard Nimoy, and then put them in a regeneration pod uh, called the Genesis experiment and make them young again. <laughs> because guess what? He's dead. He's dead. You're not going to get like the, per you're not going to get the old actors back and this is why i i want one if someone can give me a well-written negative review on strange new worlds based or i should say using your knowledge of film theory i will say okay cool even if i don't agree with it i am open to any negativity as long as it's backed by a knowledge of writing if it's not, then I, I don't really give a shit what you're saying. Look what this one says. Honestly, one and a half star. Honestly, I'm waiting for a non-binary albino to show up. Does every show now have to pick and choose from the separate bins at Central Casting? I did love the visuals, though. So this isn't even a real review. This is someone who hates the progressive iterations yeah. In the Kurtzman era, which, you know, I hate, to, I hate to break this to you, buddy. I mean, progressive aspects have always been put in Star Trek. Don't be that guy that probably bitched and moaned and wrote letters into the studio when Kirk kissed Uhura. 
because he's white and she's black. Because when you make comments like that, that's essentially who you are. You're, you are that person, but for this generation. Exactly. Don't be, don't, don't let your bigot show. At least try to hide it. At least try to hide it. Be, be, be more, uh, Diplomatic. <laughs> okay, two stars here. The main character Pike is portrayed excellently by Anson Mount, already up there with Cisco and Kirk, and the rest of the cast seems decent enough. The story starts off all right, but the writers force in real-world political events. <laughs> uh, we should probably stop there, Mike, because I, I read ahead of, of some of the other things. Okay, first off, <laughs> science fiction. All science fiction. Is literally an allegory for events in our real history. Yes. It's always used to delve into social commentary. That's the beautiful thing about science fiction. In fact, there's an argument to be made if if it doesn't have some type of social commentary that is not real science fiction. Yeah, exactly. The writers forced in real world political events where they are out of place and completely devastate the canon of Star Trek by doing so on a whim. How does it devastate Star Trek canon by showing the, I believe he's talking about the scene where they show clips of the January 6th, yeah, the January 6th Capitol yes. riot. Guess what? That was a travesty in American history. And it's a sign that we are in the midst of a culture war. It doesn't matter what side you're on. I don't care if you're, if you're for storming the Capitol building or against. Bottom line is, that's a sign that we're in the midst of a culture war. They weren't saying anything else. They're saying, look, this is what happened. We were fighting. There was disharmony. And... One thing leads to another, and then, boom, World War III in the world of Star Trek. They're trying to show you the steps that lead to violence. Yeah. <laughs> this is why when people write negative reviews of something, I don't pay attention. Because it's never based on actual knowledge. On actual knowledge. It's based sheerly on your subjective feelings at that time. You know, guys, you, you know, the, the, the Maquis and the Cardassians themselves are literally ways that the writers of Star Trek in the nineties delved into current political commentary, things that were going on at that time. You may not realize it because you might have been really young and you may not think about it now when you go back and rewatch because it's old history. This isn't new. None of this is new. It's a shame when people claim to like something when they know nothing about it. I'm getting angry now. So I'm going <laughs> to, I have no problem with negative thoughts, Dave. I have no problems with people thinking differently than me, but you, you have to come out with some Use well thought up, some knowledge exactly to express your thought. And the moment you talk about politics, you show your ignorance and you show that your real problem is, is that you are against the current progressive 
landscape because we're in a culture war. Mm-hmm. That's all. That's all. It has nothing to do with your taste in writing. <laughs> I hate people, David. <laughs> I would never be a part of Starfleet. I would probably be with Seven as a ranger, and I would go <laughs> killing people. <laughs> If I was one of those aliens, I'm like, listen, I get what you're saying, but fuck these people over fuck here. These people over here. <laughs> so stupid. All right. I want to thank everyone for listening. Hopefully I didn't, I didn't devolve into negative territory myself, but I just wanted to express my frustration with reviews based on subjectivity and the problems when you review something yes. that way. Because, David, you and I could sit here all day talking about our own subjective feelings and completely pick apart every single episode of every single Star Trek series based on our own subjective wants, Easily. needs, political thoughts. But we don't let that seep in. Mm-mm. All right. Thank you, David. Thank you, everyone else. Find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Digital, and help us stay alive. If you like our show, we need subscribers. When you do so, you do get a whole lot more Star Trek content every single month. Patreon.com slash Digital. Thank you, David. Thank you. Live long and prosper. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain? It runs deep. Share it with me. End simulation.